I've got to connect with some people today. I've got to make a phone call. I've got to write a card. I've got to call them and say, can I come by? Let's sit on the back porch. Just what can I do to stay connected? This has been the most challenging of the almost 39 years that I've been through. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. On the last episode of Level Paths, Matt and Rex spoke with three pastors from Ohio and West Virginia about how they were getting along pastoring churches in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. We learned that it's not easy, and there are many, many challenges. We also learned that endurance and trusting in the Lord are key attributes of pastors who can successfully navigate a ministry through tough times. This is part two of the Level Path series titled, The State of the Church Through COVID, and we're going to focus on those two ideas, endurance and trusting in the Lord. Two remarkable examples of men who have exhibited great endurance and trust are Dr. David Lemming and Dr. Tim Yates, the pastors at Lewis Memorial Baptist Church in Huntington, West Virginia. Later in the podcast, Dr. Lemming and Dr. Yates will talk about how the pandemic has affected their ministries. But first, these men have nearly 70 years between them pastoring at Lewis Memorial. Here's Rex Howe. Welcome back to another Level Paths podcast where we are looking for the glory of God in clear view. We know that the Gospel of Mark tells us that John the Baptist came preaching. He was a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight a way for the Lord, a highway in the wilderness from Isaiah 40. And that highway was built as mountains were leveled and valleys raised up so that all flesh could see the glory of God. And we believe that as we study the scriptures as we come to a place of faith and repentance toward the word of God, that we're able to see the glory and salvation of God. And so we hope that Level Pass is blessing you, that you are seeing the glory of God as we meet from time to time. Matt, today we are finishing a two-part series on the state of the church in Appalachia. I would like to take just a moment to speak about the importance of encouraging our pastors At Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, it is our aim to encourage, affirm, and equip stewards, shepherds, and servants to fulfill their ministries in Christ's commission. And as we know, October is a month typically recognized by many churches as a time to purposefully encourage our shepherds, our pastors. Pastoral ministry vocationally lends itself to burnout, exhaustion, and a unique kinds of troubles and COVID has only multiplied these challenges. So, will you join me this month in making a special effort to encourage and affirm your pastor? Would you accept the challenge to be a refresher of your pastor's soul? Like Philemon, I believe that many church members, if they'll look closely, are in a special position to refresh their pastor's soul. Whether it is a thoughtful gift, helping with a financial burden, praying, Or maybe it's reconciling a relationship that would bring peace to the church. Church members are equipped with the good things of Christ by the Spirit to refresh the souls of pastors. Would you accept that challenge this month? Matt, we have two faithful and beloved pastors with us today. We do. What a joy it is to have Dr. David Lemming and Dr. Tim Yates from Lewis Memorial Baptist Church in Huntington, West Virginia. Dr. Lemming, has served there for almost 40 years. Dr. Yates has served there for almost 30 years. And 
it has been incredible to see the fruit of their ministry. And we're going to get a chance to talk about that today. Just as a side note, Dr. Lemming is one of my mother's favorite pastors, one of her favorite preachers. She so enjoys hearing Dr. Lemming. And what an encouragement it is to me to know that she is listening regularly to the faithful preaching of Dr. David Lemming. Dr. Lemming, Dr. Yates, welcome to the Level Pass podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. We count it a privilege to have you guys with us today. It was a great encouragement the first time that I met Dr. Lemming. Uh, I was working on my doctorate, trying to explore what I was going to do for my dissertation. And just with a simple phone call, ask if I could meet with Dr. Lemming. And from there began a friendship. I met a humble, faithful servant of the Lord who was willing to take time with me to answer any questions that I had. And so, Dr. Lemming, if you would, would you take a few moments and just give us a short bio of how you came into ministry and uh, how you ended up at Lewis Memorial? Yeah, I was saved when I was 16 years of age. I grew up in church my whole life, but my parents were already believers in Christ, but it wasn't until 16 that it really uh, rung true to me, really took hold of my heart, and I uh, trusted in the Lord Jesus as my own Savior. Within that year, uh, God began working in my heart that He wanted me to do something more than what I was planning to do, and I began wrestling with God about that. I didn't want to do that to begin with, but ultimately, I surrendered to what he wanted. You know, I didn't know it would be pastoring necessarily at that moment. It was just, Lord, I'm willing to be in full-time service. I'm willing to give myself uh, to whatever you want me to do. But little by little, as I you know, worked through some schooling and things, I, I realized that the Lord wanted me to pastor. And I'm very thankful to, to have that opportunity. I, I got here to Huntington through an evangelist friend of mine who his children were in my youth group. I, I was the youth pastor at the time, and his children were in the youth group. And I had told him one time, I said, if you ever come to a church that's looking for a pastor and you think I might fit, you know, give him my name. Probably within six months or so, he, he came by the house and said, there's a church in Huntington where I put your name. And within about four months of that, maybe five, I was uh, voted on and became the pastor of the church. That's back in December of 1982. So I've been here the last, uh, going on 39 years. Dr. Lemming, you were three years old when you came to be the pastor of Lewis Memorial Baptist Church. Is that correct? I was what? Three years old? Three or four. Yeah, yeah right. Right. And I was 25 years old. It's amazing to think now that all those years ago that Lewis Memorial would entertain the call of a 25-year-old man to come be the senior pastor. Still baffles my mind. Well, Dr. Yates, you have served there for almost 30 years. Dr. Lemming is the senior pastor. Dr. Yates is the life group and outreach pastor. Dr. Yates, if you would, would you give us a short bio of how you came to know Christ and then uh, how you came to be at Lewis Memorial? I've been a member since 92. The church was smaller and I came on staff. I think pastor was at 22 years ago. About 22 years, yeah. But I was saved March the, the 10th, 1974. I didn't grow up in church, never been to Sunday school, but I'm from Barbersville. One of the guys I played basketball with invited me to the old Souls for Christ Baptist Church. It was River City Church now. I was saved there in a, in a revival meeting with some of my friends. It was just a great, glorious time. And so you're originally from Barbersville. Dr. Lemming, where are you originally from? 
Yeah, I was born and raised just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. That's where my wife and I are from. This is the only time we've ever lived outside of the state uh, on a permanent basis. We've visited other places, obviously, but this is the only other place we've lived outside the state. And because we've been here so long, I consider myself a West Virginian now. The question would be, are you a Marshall fan or a WVU fan? No question I'm a Marshall fan. That's a good answer for a man who serves in Huntington. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's true. (laughs) My connection is in a roundabout way to the Lemming tribe. I uh, did not know Pastor Lemming, and I had heard uh, growing up in Appalachia in the tri-state area, I had heard of, of Lewis Memorial Baptist Church, mostly through the Bible College when I was a student here, but I had never met anyone from there until I moved down to Texas and went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and lo and behold, there's J.D. Lemming. (laughs) And uh, J.D. and I were in a lot of classes, so I don't know if J.D. will be listening, but a shout out to my friend J.D. and Katie and the family down there. Yeah, J.D., uh, when he learned that you became president of the college here, you know, he immediately put all that together for me. And uh, we were excited that we were going to have that kind of connection. And he's doing very, very well. They're still in Dallas and doing very well there in Dallas. What I'd like to ask you to tell us a little bit about is your time at Lewis Memorial. So just give us, we've talked sort of the testimony and where you're from and how you got to Lewis Memorial. But tell us about the span of your ministry. What have you seen God do through your time at Lewis Memorial? God's been very good. I'm probably the weakest, worst servant he could possibly have. Uh, the Lord is great, and he takes weak things and is able to use them in ways that you would never expect. And uh, certainly when I look back over 38 years, almost 39, you know, I never would have expected God to have done all the things that, that he did. You know, when you're a young preacher, you, you got a vision, you got a dream, things that you want to see accomplished. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I also know my weaknesses and I know my strengths. And, you know, for God to do anything through me was going to take a miracle. So all of the credit and all of the praise goes to the Lord. When I came, there were some services, not every service, but there were some services you could get everybody on just a few pews. To be honest with you, for the first five or six years, we declined. It was a downhill. People were adjusting. I was adjusting, trying to figure out you know, what my role was and how I fit and trying to learn the culture. But after, you know, six or seven years, uh, we began to see positive growth. We began seeing people saved. We saw people that the Lord was moving to us. We haven't had explosive growth. You know, some churches go from zero to a, to 10,000 in a matter of a few years. We've never had that. And I'm, I'm happy with what God has given to us. It's just been slow, steady, methodical growth. There's always periods of growth, and then there's a period of recession where you like a wave coming in, and then it sort of recedes, and then another wave comes in, and then it recedes. Each time I'd see somebody you know, move away because the job took them away or because you know they were going off to school or going into the military, I think nobody's ever going to be able to replace them, but God was always faithful to bring somebody that filled those places and helped us to multiply those places. There's no magic in the sense of great strategy on my part. It was just a matter of coming and saying, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to give it my best. It's really all about what God can do anyway. It's not about what I can do. And just waiting on the Lord to do His work. 
It's been a, a methodical, periodic growth over the years that's included some difficult moments. And there's no question about it. Some real battles. Not so much, you know, in the business meetings and with in the congregation itself, but there's been battles, struggles. If you don't go through some of those, it's just not normal. God's been faithful over and over and over again. And when I thought we weren't going forward anymore, God always showed up and helped us to move forward. Maybe if I can take a snapshot of something you said, that the normalization of suffering or struggle in in the life of the Christian and the church. We follow Jesus, right? Jesus' life was laced with suffering and hardship and glory at the same time. And we live in that tension until we experience the resurrection from the dead. And so I appreciate that for us who are, you know, in ministry and and actually, at Wheelersburg Baptist, we just had a devotion on this last night, the story of Jesus sleeping during the storm and the disciples on the sea. And, you know, Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. And we oftentimes feel like when things are going wrong, that you know, where are you, Lord? And he is there. And we fellowship with him in the suffering. Pastor Tim, what about you? How would you describe your chapters at Lewis Memorial Baptist Church? I'm just so thankful that since 1992 that I've been able to have a front row seat and just watch God do some incredible things through the ministry of Pastor Lemming. And I would give all glory to God, but it's certainly God uses people. I've had a a joy. It's been a joy just to have a front row seat and just watch God and see what God has done. I remember during his 10th anniversary, we had a little celebration for him. And then that next Wednesday night, one of the deacons, and I'm not going to give his name, but he asked me to ride with him in a van to take some Awana kids home. And because I grew up in Barbersville, he knew me. He said, Timmy, what, what do you think about a, a church parsonage? And I said, well, what, what do you mean church parsonage? Pastor Lemming had just moved out of the church parsonage. And I said, look, if if you don't want Pastor Lemming to stay here, you'll want to make him stay in the parsonage. If you want to keep a pastor, you let them have their own home. And he just laughed at me, and he just laughed and laughed. And I I wondered, did I touch a nerve there? Why did he ask me that? But just over the years, I've had a front row seat to see what God has done. And there has been some miraculous things God and God alone has done through pastor's ministry. It's been phenomenal. It's been incredible. I can tell you highs, tell you lows. It's been awesome. It's been encouraging to see what God has done as an outsider watching Lewis Memorial and knowing the story that this was not always a larger church, but this was a smaller church that through faithful ministry, there has been transformation and the Lord honored that growth. And key to that is the distinct way you preach. There's clearly evidence of a commitment to expository preaching. So could you talk about that, how you've developed your preaching, how you've come to this commitment to expository preaching, and even how you go about doing it? When I got here, I preached like the people that I listened to, and a lot of it was more topical-based. It was... um, skipping around at different things, but it didn't take very long to to realize that I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough to be able to tell enough stories to be able to keep those kind of sermons going, that 
they had to be based in the scripture. And then I, I also had been taught and I knew the importance of preaching the Bible, to preach the word. And so I just began trying to learn how to preach expositorily. I took those classes and I studied what they had to say, but you sort of revert back to what you're used to hearing, what you were exposed to. And I was exposed to some of that you know, growing up. So that was what I sort of fell back to when I first started preaching every week, especially multiple times every week. Over the years, you have to work hard at it. I had to learn a style. Probably if I were in a homiletics class, the homiletics professor would likely say, uh, you would not get an A or a B on the way you go about doing your sermons. But I take what they taught me, and then I develop my own style from it. In that style, then I'm, I, I deliver messages. And so the, all of my messages have a text as the base. You're always expounding on that text in some fashion. You're you know, exegeting the text, and then you're expounding on the text, explaining it so that people can apply it. But you know, there's no magic to it in the sense it's a study, it's hard work, it's good resources. One of the things that God has given me over the years is a lot of good resources. It's sort of like a mechanic trying to work without all the right tools. You know, like Tri-State Bible College is giving to the students the opportunity to fill their toolbox full of tools. And then you go on to seminary and you fill that toolbox with some more tools and then a lot of them go on and, you know, they get doctoral degrees and they continue to fill their toolbox. So the more tools that you have to work with, the better you are at mining the truths that are there. One of my great struggles at this point is the Bible is limitless. You can never exhaust all that it has to say. You know, you could have all the preachers. They could never exhaust all that it has to say. But when you've been in one place going on 39 years, finding new ways to say the things you've said is a challenge. I find it a challenge every single week. And then I get reminded periodically that I don't always have to come up with something new because most of the people don't remember it from the last time anyway. They only remember maybe something basic out of it. They don't remember all that you put into it. So, you know, a lot of times I say something, well, I've said that before, but they don't even remember me saying that particular thing. And the truth of the matter is, I, I don't remember every sermon that I've ever heard. It's, it's like, taking a shower every day. I don't remember every shower I took, but I'm thankful for every one of them. I'm sure everybody else is thankful for them <laughs> as well. It's hard work. It's just staying in the text. It's finding out what the text has to say first, and then trying to find out how that connects with, with my present circumstances or with my people, what they're facing, what they're dealing with, and then you know putting it together in a fashion that you can present it so that when you finish, they've got something to take home with them. And I wish they took more home with them than they do, but I'm grateful for what they do take home, that they're able to use some of those things. Brother, I think that's a wonderful explanation of expository preaching. Taking the word, what does it say, making the connection to current life, and giving people something to take home with. I think that's an incredible explanation. And it's also encouraging to hear the way that you've invested in your preaching that you're not the same preacher that you were 30 years ago, but that you've grown in that. Tim, you spoke about that earlier, that you have had the front row seat in seeing Dr. Lemming grow as a preacher. Could you talk about that? That's such a valuable perspective. Absolutely. And this is something I have watched and witnessed firsthand. Pastor Lemming works 
hard at his preaching. He works the word. He works in the word. When I first heard him in, in 92, he, he was a good preacher. I say this with all humility. Today, he is an exceptional preacher. And I asked my wife, you know, a few weeks ago, I said, man, he never strikes out. You know, you ever get into a role, you may have four or five good sermons, and then, then you just really blow it, you know, you bottom out. Well, I mean, every week, pastor, every single week, he brings it. He just finished up the book of Ecclesiastes. That's not easy to do. And to make it applicable, to tell us what the text says, the historical, you know, markers behind the passages. And it's just awesome to be a part of a church where you get fed. I mean, the word is just rich. And I appreciate his time and effort. One of the things we might ask Pastor Lemming is, what's his process of, of doing that? I think a lot of young guys could really learn, or old guys like us could really learn from him. Yeah, take us through a week, Pastor. What's a week look like in your preparation? Yeah, I wish it was the same every week. You know, as, as a pastor, there's always things that come up. There's decisions that have to be made, people that want to meet with you. There's funerals, there's weddings. I have a wedding this weekend that I'm participating in. It's a challenge to be able to carve out an exact schedule, but I, I try. Some preachers are really good at planning their sermons long-term. They know six weeks down the road exactly what they're going to say, and they've got a basic preparation that's done weeks in advance. I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. I plan by choosing a book of the Bible and working through that book of the Bible. I don't necessarily know three weeks from now exactly what I'm going to be saying. I know generally because I know what the text says, but I don't know specifically what I'm going to be saying. The other part of that is, for me, I sort of like to have fresh bread for the family on Sunday morning. And so I like to work the week prior knowing that there's going to be things that interrupt and I'm going to have to work around. I'm probably going to have to work later some nights than I wanted to work or earlier in the morning so that the bread is fresh and it's not something I prepared three weeks ago. Some guys can do that and keep it fresh. I've not been one of those that could do that. But I start the first of the week. Actually, I start Sunday night. You know, where am I going next week? What is the text? How much of the text am I going to cover? You read it. The first part of the week, at least for Sunday mornings, the first part of the week, you're studying what the text says. By the time you get to Wednesday, you pretty well know what the text says and what he was saying to the original authors. When you get to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know I'm organizing it into an outline so that by Saturday, I'm ready to tag on my illustrations or Friday evening, tag on my illustrations and things that, you know, sort of bring together the whole message and make it applicable. Sunday night, right now, we're studying through the Revelation. It's a little less of the sermonic style, and it's more just talking through the Revelation, explaining the different things that are in the Revelation, uh, trying to help people to be able to read it and understand it for themselves. And then on Wednesday evening, we have a life group. Mary and I lead, my wife and I lead a life group. We're talking through the book of Jude. I would say the majority of my, my preparations for Sunday morning, Sunday night is, you know, the second most important. And then on Wednesday evening, I don't have as much prep time for that. You know, once I read the text and I know what the text says, then I'm guiding a discussion for the most part. But yeah, every week is like that. I wish I could plan six months out, three months out. I've not ever been able to do that. 
I think maybe I'm too old to try to change that at this particular moment. Brother, could you speak about the way you've seen the change in church schedule affect your preaching? It wasn't all that uncommon not that long ago that there was a morning service, an evening service, a Wednesday service, teaching Sunday school, on and on you go like that. And as I listen to the way that your schedule is laid out, there's a big change. You're not preparing messages like you would have in the past. So could you speak to that, how you've seen the need for that change and how that's affected you? Well, I can only tell you for me, I can't run on several tracks at the same time. Some people are multitasking. You know, they can keep several things in the air at the same time. I can't do that. I have to work on one thing. I have to get it. Then I'll move from that thing to something else, and I'll work on it a little while, and then I'll move for something else. In a lot of ways, I like the model where they only have a Sunday morning service and then maybe have Bible studies during the week because you're able to give all of your attention to the Sunday morning message. You're really able to give great detail to the message. I don't mean boring detail, but the kind of detail that draws people into the message. But we have so many people who come back on Sunday night that I can't give that up. We have nearly a full auditorium on Sunday evening, and I'm not going to give up that opportunity. If they're wanting to come and they're willing to come, we're going to keep teaching them the Word because you know it's the truth that sets them free. And As long as they want to hear it, I'm going to do my best to, to give it to them. I know that there are some who listen to our podcast who have Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday, yeah. and there are some who preach one time a week and maybe have a small group. In the past, much of the preaching schedule when you have all of that is really an evangelistic sermon on Sunday morning. Correct. Something maybe with a little more depth on Sunday evening, a devotional message on Wednesday, and whatever you can come up with in Sunday school. There is now the pressure. It used to be the pressure was, can I preach at the same level as the pastor down the street? But now my folks are listening not just to me on Sunday morning, but on their way home, they're listening to Chuck Swindoll. And they have an entire library of Adrian Rogers. Not only is the pressure to speak at the level of the pastor down the street, but also to speak at the level of Chuck Swindoll, who's been preaching longer than I've been alive, and Adrian Rogers, who's been in heaven for a decade. There's a lot more pressure now for the quality of message now than there was in the past. Would you agree with that? And how has that affected your preaching? No question. Uh, I agree with that. I think when Dr. Swindoll works a little bit more, he's probably going to be a good preacher. A little yeah. more effort, he's going to be all right. To be honest with you, it's listening to the Adrian Rogers, the Swindolls, the David uh, Jeremiah's that I, I have learned a lot about preaching because they are such effective communicators. And they were a part of the transition in my own preaching style, just listening to them. I wish people would stop doing what you just mentioned, though. We should not be comparing ourselves among ourselves. None of us here should be comparing ourselves to each other. The truth of the matter is Tim Yates is a much better preacher than I am. But we shouldn't really be comparing. To me, that reminds me of 1 Corinthians. I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. And I'm of Cephas and I'm of Jesus. I can only be me. I've sort of reached a place in my life. I'll be 64 here shortly. I've reached a place in my life where I don't worry so much about whether I can measure up to somebody else. 
all I can be is the best version of what God made me to be. There's some guys like Swindoll and Adrian Rogers and the others, uh, Charles Stanley, who's, I mean, he's the world's pastor. Those guys are multi-talented guys. They're the five-talent guys. You know, then there's the two-talent guys, and then there's the one-talent guy. I'm a one-talent guy. That's all I am. And I take the one talent I've got, and I give the best I can to it. And I get the same thing that your pastors probably get. Oh, I heard so-and-so say that same thing, but he said it this way, or he interpreted that passage a little different than you did. You develop over time a little bit of a thicker skin. I don't want to say it that way because I don't ever want to lose a tender heart. Water off a duck's back kind of a thing. And you say, praise the Lord. Thank God. I'm glad you heard that from Dr. Swindoll. I mean, he is an incredible preacher. And you brag on the preacher. Say, thank the Lord for him. Keep listening to him. You're getting some things that uh, he can give you, and I'm giving you what I can give you. It doesn't bother me like it used to. When I was younger, it bothered me. It really shouldn't be that way. One way to identify an enduring ministry is when men like Dr. Lemming and Dr. Yates stay faithful and preach the word decade after decade. This first segment gave us an opportunity to glean wisdom from that kind of experience and dedication. When we come back, how longtime pastors navigate the murky waters of uncertainty. Coming up on March 24, 2022, at Tri State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, the Appalachian Ministry Conference, fulfilling your ministry in a post COVID Appalachia. The keynote speaker is Dr. Tom Cheney author of Church Revitalization in Rural America. This first ever Appalachian Ministry Conference will focus on engaging Christian ministry in Appalachia for God's glory in a world impacted by COVID-19. The day starts at 9 a.m. and includes breakout sessions, lunch, Q&A sessions, Appalachian storytelling, and of course, you'll hear from keynote speaker Dr. Tom Cheney, Rex Howe from Tri-State Bible College, and Matt Shamlin from the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Again, the Appalachian Ministry Conference is March 24th, 2022 at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio. To register, visit tsbc.edu and click on Apply Now or call 704-377-2520. Pastor Tim, you both had a really long tenure at LMBC. For those of us who are in really any kind of ministry. Some are stewards in ministry, some are shepherds, some are servants. But what's the secret to staying? What are the secrets to persevering, to staying, to seeing the ministry through so that it might be described as a ministry of longevity? From my perspective, I have Pastor Lemming. I'm not going to go out here and work for somebody else that cannot measure up to him because my wife, my spiritual growth and I just thank God that I've had the joy and the pleasure of serving under him and being under his ministry. And that has helped me. I'm not looking to go anywhere else because I'm not going to hear a better preacher. I listen to two or three preachers every week. I listened to a a sermon by John MacArthur this morning from Colossians chapter three. I listened the other day to Alistair Begg. You know, I'll listen to other preachers, but 
I hear Pastor Lemming preach week after week after week after week, and my spiritual growth has been brought by the preaching of the Word. I thank God that I have a pastor that preaches the Bible. Not everybody has that, guys. I don't know if you all know this, but very few people preach the Bible. You know, expository, biblical, I mean, just in-depth teaching of the Scriptures and preaching of the Scriptures. I think that's probably one of the keys to Pastor Lemming's ministry. What do you do for 40 years? Well, if you preach the Bible, as he said, it's inexhaustible. And he has been here and he has preached this Bible for 40 years. I mean, think about it. What I hear you saying is a ministry that's focused on the word has a longevity effect. Absolutely. For everyone involved. We're in Huntington, West Virginia, where people lose jobs and they move to Charlotte, move to Columbus, move south. They don't want to leave because they're going to go a step under when they find a church or a pastor. And the preaching of the word is paramount. It's a priority in Pastor Lemming's ministry. I can tell you, number one, his wife is his priority. Number two, his children is his priority. And then preaching and study of the word is his priority. I never see him get that out of whack. I get out of whack every day. You know, I get my priorities all messed up. It's just been so good to be able to see a priority on the preaching, expository preaching of the Word of God. And expository preaching, it's a difficult time. Storytelling and all those different things are the big deal today. But thank God for the Word. As I hear Tim talk, I had the great privilege at Schofield Memorial Church to teach my youth groups through the book of Jeremiah one time. They faithfully endured that with me. What we learned from Jeremiah is that he had an urgency to preach the word. And it was a lonely urgency, but he had a, he had a long ministry of faithfully, even in lonely circumstances, preaching the word. So in addition to understanding the word, the centrality of the word as a key to a sustaining ministry. What other things have you seen, Pastor David? Why you stay so long at one place probably is a question that should go to the congregation, because why did they keep me so long? You know, I never saw coming here as a stepping stone to something else. You know, sometimes God moves me, and there's no question. Sometimes men get anxious within themselves and think they've got to go move. I'll keep reminding myself, I have a number of times over the years, what Paul said to Titus when he said, stay in Crete. You know, sometimes you just got to go stay somewhere to do a work that has a lasting value, not looking for the next stepping stone. I'm contented to do that. I came from a big city to what compared to that would be a small city. Huntington's not a small city compared to some of the cities around us, but it is a small city compared to Atlanta. But I'm happy where I am. I like being here. I like the people. Part of staying a long time is the people and the pastor have to have the right mix. I mean, they have to fit together. I hear pastors going to churches and they just don't mix. It just isn't the right mix. I guess God knew from the beginning that I probably couldn't have handled multiple moves. So he just said, okay, I'm going to fix this from the very beginning. He gave the people with the right temperament for my kind of leadership. You know, some, some leaders are type A leaders and they're out front uh, charging hell every single day, you know, fighting everything that has to be fought. 
Other people are consensus builders, which is more me. And they're more patient and methodical in their movements. And God put a church and a pastor together whose temperament matched. And we've been able to work together. Yes, preaching the word is the core of it. I don't mean to suggest it isn't. But, you know, if I had been uncomfortable here or I had felt like um, I didn't fit here, I would have probably been looking for some other place to go. But I have been more than happy to be here. This is a great place. The people here are great people. It was a great place for me to raise my children. And I love it here. I love the people here. I'm thankful to be here. You know, I, I could be anywhere, but I, I'm thankful that God put me here. The heart that you have for your people is evident, and that comes out in the way you talk about them and the way you minister to them, your commitment to work, to not download messages off the Internet or whatever the newest thing may be, but to be faithfully just grinding it out and preaching and teaching the Word, spending that time in prayer. You've done this not just alone, but you've done this with a great team. And Absolutely. so I really would like for both of you to address this. What value do you see in having a good team? The team that we have is as good a team as you will see anywhere in the country. And the finest of men, we have ladies that work in the office, and the finest of people you'll meet anywhere. And you know, one of the incredible things is that God has allowed us to work together. Tim's been here 22 years. Our minister of music has been here 30 years. Our graphic artist has been here almost 20 years. Guys, I'm not that smart. I, I can't put all that together. I don't, I don't know how to do that. You know, God has just allowed us to develop a team. We all have shortcomings and weaknesses. I don't mean sinful shortcomings necessarily, though I have plenty of those shortcomings and weaknesses, but we seem to complement each other. And so hiring in staff beyond preaching and beyond loving what you're doing and loving where you are has been the most important thing. And God, again, I don't have any great abilities or great administrative insights, but God has just been gracious to give us the kind of staff that can work together. So you get a Tim Yates or you get a Jeremy Schaefer or you get a Nathan McClay, or you get a Bill Blankenship, or Matt McClay. When you got a team like that, you don't have to be all that good. <laughs> the team is good. You mentioned building the team. If I can dig a little deeper into that, Pastor David, have you found that your team members have come from within the church, like come up through and within, or are those team members folks that God connected you to from outside and Either way, how did you identify the fit? You know, the reality is that most of our team members have come from within. For instance, Tim was here for a few years before we hired him. He was preaching in other places, but he was attending church here when he wasn't preaching. And I knew the quality. You know, when I'm looking for somebody on the team, and, I, and I've made some mistakes here. I mean, not everybody has stuck with us. But when I'm looking for team members, I'm looking for people who are team players. We're not looking for lone rangers. We function very much like an elder board. We're a Baptist church, and so we don't have uh, elder rule. We function very much like that, where most of the major decisions are made within the body of our pastors and the leadership. And then it comes down to the congregation, and the congregation makes decisions with us. 
but building that team is one of the most important things. A lot of prayer. You know, Jesus prayed before he chose those that would be his disciples. Uh, watching people's lives. Brother Tim, you know, you could watch his life and know that he was the kind of man that you wanted to work with the others. Nathan came from outside. He was originally from Pennsylvania. We found him in uh, Tennessee and called him here. So he's from outside. His son, Matt, who's our youth pastor, grew up here. So he already knew the culture of our church. Uh, he went to Liberty and got his bachelor's and master's degree. Bringing somebody in from the outside scares me. You have to do that. I know. I understand that. I like to grow up people, if I can, out of the congregation so that you have an opportunity to you know, work with them. Do they fit? Is this the right place for them? Tim, could you address the value of a team? And you've been a part of this team for years. And so you're going to add such a different perspective to that. How could you help those staff members who are trying to faithfully serve and help them understand their role a little bit better and encourage them in that role? I read this morning through the book of Romans. And when I read chapter 12, where it talks about the giftedness of the body of Christ and Paul said, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And I've heard pastor use this analogy. You know, you, you want to get the right people on the bus and they need to be in the right seat and they need to be using their spiritual giftedness. And as they minister through their spiritual giftedness, they find great joy in their ministry. They love what they do. And I can speak in behalf of the staff at Lewis Memorial that our team has great unity. We love each other. It's a joy to work with each other. And, you know, you have top-notch people doing different responsibilities, but yet if there's paper on the parking lot when you walk across on Sunday morning, we pick it up. You know, we do the things that you have to do and but there's just a unity because it's all about Christ and it's all about loving his church. The one thing I love about Pastor Lemming that he has taught his staff is we're a part of the local church. Just saying the words local church, when he says that, that fires me up. I'm grateful to be a part of building God's church. You know, Christ says, I'll build my church. And so we have great people. Pastor Lemming has hired these great people. They're on the bus and they're in the right seat. And uh, I'm just, just so thankful. Yeah, and that bus analogy was not mine originally, so I don't want to claim any of that. <laughs> well, I'm right here in front of me in my library. I say good to great. So we can credit Jim Collins for Correct. getting the right people in the right place. But it's a great analogy anyway, and it's helpful in understanding that. So guys, this has been a difficult time in ministry. The last year and a half, two years have been unprecedented. In fact, that word unprecedented is a word that I've almost grown tired of hearing, but it is apt to what we've been through. So would you speak to the challenges of COVID, how you've come through COVID, how you've shepherded the flock at Lewis Memorial through that, and what encouragement and challenges you've seen through that time? Let me begin by saying to, to any pastor that's listening, my heart goes out to you. This has been one of the most incredibly difficult things to maneuver and to handle that I've handled in all the years of my ministry. I, I know 1912, they had the Spanish flu, and they did a lot of the things that we do or are having to do because of COVID. 
but I didn't even know there was a Spanish flu till we had COVID. <laughs> so I started reading about it and trying to figure out what they did. You know, there is no manual that says, okay, here's what you do next. You don't have any of that. You know, what we've tried to do is stay connected to our people. A lot of times that was phone calls. Sometimes that was Zoom calls. We've tried to keep them connected to their life groups as best we can. The truth of the matter is, as time went along, people got screen weary, got tired of watching the screen. We opened back up a little bit at a time till finally we're back into services. But the truth is, we're nowhere near where we were a year and a half ago. I have to say as well that in opening back up, God has brought to us new people that I'm totally stunned. You know, I thought probably if we had anybody coming, that'd be great. Not expecting visitors to show up, but we've had visitors showing up week after week. We've had people saved uh, that we baptized. I don't know that there's any secret. There's not a manual or, you know, your step one, your step two, your step three. All of you pastors have a shepherd's heart. What would a shepherd do for a sheep if they were straying? What would he do if he didn't know where they were? What would he do? You know, we're used to being with the sheep and smelling like the sheep, and we want to be close to the sheep. But the reality is that we hadn't been able to do that as well as we normally could over the last year and a half. And we're all struggling. I'm struggling. You know, we, we got our staff together this past Tuesday, and I said, look, guys, we got to pray. We got to pray like we'd never prayed before until we rend heaven and, and God comes down and sends a revival. There'll be some people that I'm not sure they're coming back. Maybe they will. I don't know. There'll be others that are afraid, and they're not coming back for a good while yet to come. There's new people that are coming, and they're braving everything <laughs> to come. And then there's the faithful that, you know, they're going to come no matter what happens. They, they've been here forever. They're always going to show up. We've just tried to stay connected as best we could. We broke up the membership list. We called everybody multiple times. But I will say this, and just to help other pastors, my heart aches every single day because I can't be with my people. I can't have the same contact. I can't have the same openness. You can't just freely reach out and hug them if they need a hug. You can't go see them at the hospital as easy as you used to see them. You can't show up at their house without announcing and, you know, what can I do? What can I not do? I don't know whether to shake hands or whether to bump fist or, you know, whether to, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so every single day, my thought is, who do I get connected to today? I've got to connect with some people today. I, I've got to make a phone call. I've got to write a card. I've got to call them and say, can I come by? We'll sit on the back porch. Just what can I do to stay connected? This has been the most challenging of the 38 years, almost 39 years that I've been through. Dr. Lemming, you spoke about getting your staff together and praying and just asking God to send revival. Do you sense a spiritual dryness among the people? I absolutely believe that we've got to have a revival or we're in serious trouble. Some of the folks that have not come back are because of the virus. Some of them, their schedules have changed and they will eventually come back. But some of them haven't come back because they don't have a hunger for the Word. That's the thing that scares me. They're not seeking after God. Some of them maybe, and I don't know for sure, have realigned their membership somewhere else. I hope that's not true, but maybe that's true. But I have the sense that some haven't returned to us because of the love for the Word of God. Was that true before COVID, or did COVID bring that on? I don't know the answer to that question. 
I rather believe that it was before and COVID just exacerbated it and made it worse. But I absolutely believe that if we don't have a revival and it's not just an entertaining show, it's a clear, direct work of God. You know, I'm concerned for those who, who are not connected to the church, who were connected to the church. You know, when we first started, we were online. And you, you get these big numbers of people watching online and little by little, you know, over the months, it just kept falling off further and further. The church isn't meant to meet online. You know, we're supposed to be a body and we have to be connected to each other. And you can't fulfill all the one another phrases in the New Testament without being one another's presence, or at least, you know, on occasion being together in one another's presence. The New Testament church has to gather and not gathering has contributed to maybe some malaise in some people. Tim, you serve as the life group and the outreach pastor. Can you address how you have sought to connect people to life group? Because that's one of the ways that you are going to connect people to the church when they're building the relationships and interacting. And I think you'd be able to give us some great insight, some help in knowing how to best do that. People are afraid, whether it's in a large group or where it's in a small group, people are afraid. It's been difficult on small groups. It's been difficult on small group leaders. I can sit here and tell you about all the difficult things that have been for the past year and a half, almost two years. And yet I can encourage you to, to see some great things. This coming Sunday where I know of a lady that's been saved and has been baptized. A few weeks ago, we had our new members class and it was full. The few weeks before that, we had our new members class and probably Pastor Lenny, it was the largest we'd ever had. It was completely full. There's some things going on here. Sure, there's been a, a falling away and because of fear, and maybe those people will come back. What we need to focus on is what we can do with what we got and just get it done. I'm kind of a one-dimensional person. When I see visitors coming in the doors of a church, my heart begins to beat, and I make a beeline to those people. And Pastor Lemming can tell you, we have 20 to 30 new people coming to church every week. But now our attendance might be 50%, 60% of what it was pre-COVID. And I'm concerned about that. And I'm broken about that, but I can't do anything about it. But man, when I see those new people walking in that front door, man, I want to reach them and I want to pray for them and try to develop a relationship with them. And so COVID, yeah, it's been hard on small groups. It's been hard on large groups. Tim's looking at it from the evangelistic side and God is doing good things. I'm looking at it from the shepherd side. Yes. You, got, you got 99, but you got one missing. We're saying the same thing. Those new people coming in thrill my heart. I want to make sure I say that. You know, it's miraculous that God sends them to us. On the other side of that, my pastor's heart misses some of the flock that he's used to seeing. Through all of this, it's not that you're pessimistic, but rather as the heart of the pastor, you see those faces and it's hard not to see the ones who aren't there, recognizing that there are some who are not coming because they're afraid, but there's also some who have no problem sitting in the, the local football stadium or going to Walmart or whatever. And I think that it's easy to miss that as criticism 
but it's not a criticism. It's a burden. And that burden is recognizing that the willingness to gather with other people for football or basketball or whatever it may be, it's not a criticism of saying, hey, you can go to that. Why can't you come to this? It's a burden because we recognize that there is a neglect of a spiritual life when we're not gathering with the people of God. For me, it's I love these people. And when I can't be with them or not around them, then I miss that opportunity. And for a church, you know, like ours, the gatherings are just opportunities for me to interact with people that I can't interact with in a lot of other settings. And so they're not there. And you probably have seen some of those videos in the middle of the pandemic when it first started or toward the middle, you know, they took cardboard cutouts of church members and put it in the pews, you know, I love cardboard cutouts, but it's just not the same as flesh and bone sitting there. Amen. As I listen to you guys talk, first of all, I appreciate the two perspectives, the evangelistic outreach perspective and the shepherd pastoral perspective that that's kind of surfaced here. From the pastoral perspective, I'm thinking of the ancient Near Eastern image of the shepherd and his staff, which he used to count the sheep. He used it to count the sheep. That's how he knew who was there and who was missing and had won and wandered off and so forth. And that's just something in the pastor's hand and heart. So as we close out, brothers, would you maybe give a final word of encouragement to those who are ministering during COVID? Just want to encourage the pastors to hang in there and just be faithful and continue to, to serve the Lord. Always remember that people are afraid. And because of that fear, they may be driven away from the church but there's some people that are unsaved and they're afraid. They want somebody to talk to. And if you and I would just be sensitive to develop a relationship or somebody that we might've known, uh, yeah, people are afraid, but this is a great opportunity. I'm telling you, it is an awesome responsibility opportunity to connect with other people outside the church and help bring them and connect them into the church because everybody needs Christ and everybody needs the church. I just want to encourage the pastors just to hang in there, be faithful, stay in the word, fill yourself with the word, stay around good people, positive people, be encouraged, follow God, be filled with the spirit. And, you know, hey, one of these days we're going to get through this. So hang in there. Yeah, I I just say don't quit. Uh, I believe we're going to get through this, and I think better days are ahead. And if we will just be faithful, you know, God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, there's a lot of things that other people can do better than I can do them, but I can be as faithful as anybody else, and they can be as faithful as me. So you just keep showing up, and you keep uh, preaching with all of the enthusiasm. Keep doing the work. This is no time to leave. This is when they need a shepherd, even those that aren't there. They need a shepherd. I understand my heart aches every day. And then on the other side of that, I'm thrilled when I see new people. The mixed emotions, I get it. But the only way to build a strong church, and when I say a strong church, I mean a mature, stable church with a good foundation, is that you get a pastor who's willing to come and stay a long time. That's the only way it can happen. Just stay there, man. Don't give up. God bless you. I I love you, Pastor. My heart aches for you. And uh, I pray that God will give you grace. God will give you mercy. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. It's always too early to quit. 
We're going to get through this, and God is going to do a great work. Perfect love casts out fear. We've heard again and again this dichotomy that it's faith over fear, but that's not the way that it's put in Scripture. In Scripture, it's perfect love that casts out fear. And we've heard that from the heart of these two under-shepherds today as they've sought to faithfully shepherd the people of Lewis Memorial. I'm so grateful for you guys taking this time with us today. Thank you so much uh, for this investment in pastors in Appalachia. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. This is part two of the Level Paths podcast titled The State of the Church Through COVID. If you'd like to get in touch with Rex Howe or Matt Shamlin or Pastor David Lemming and Pastor Tim Yates at Lewis Memorial Baptist, send Rex an email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. Rex spells his last name H-O-W-E. Or email Matt at matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.